This is Real Estate Rookie episode 372. Today's guests focus on live and flips and how losing a job didn't even phase them due to the legwork they put in for their real estate investing journey. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, three times a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. Now, for these guests, we're going to get into how they chose their markets and the, the kind of nitty gritty of how they got started. But first, Kevin and Julia, welcome to the Real Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Super excited to have you guys on the show today. Yeah, thank you. This is a huge honor, I think, for us. And uh, we've been listening to you guys personally and Bigger Pockets for a very long time. So we love Many it. Many years now. Thank you guys. Well, now you guys get to give back to the community, which is a, a goal for a lot of rookies listening. So, you know, Ash and I always say that what, what makes this show so special is stories just like yours, right? Stories of, of folks who are just normal, everyday people getting started. And, and with that, right, we understand that this journey you guys have been on uh, can come with some challenges. So can you share a moment that's maybe had a really big impact on your lives and your investing journey? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing was uh, being laid off from, you know, the quote unquote safe corporate job that, you know, everyone's told you should get out of school. And uh, it turns out it's not so safe, uh, no matter what the job is. So luckily, we uh, had some strong uh, or a strong but mighty, uh, small but mighty portfolio uh, that was able to financially uh, hold us through that time and not put us in any uh, detrimental positions and give me the time to find the, the job that made the most sense. What about the other people around you? How were they reacting to you being so calm, cool and collected, I guess, about being laid off. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was coming from all sides. I think they, a lot of our family doesn't necessarily understand the real estate or, uh, are heavily involved. They're very supportive of it, but, um, they all thought, Oh, how are you going to pay these mortgages? We got plenty of questions there. Are you guys okay? And a lot of it comes from a caring place, of course, but it's a question of, we're, we're okay. You know, it's like this, the houses are going to keep paying for themselves. Plus we're getting more. I know Julia was getting questions from, uh, her family, you know, everything. Okay. It's like, do you need to sell the house or is Kevin depressed? I'm like, Kevin's <laughs> fine. Don't worry. Like and we're okay. It's funny. It's like, this is what, honestly, I want to do real estate full time. I wish I didn't have to go back, uh, you know, to a full time job, but, uh, so it was kind of a nice, uh, stepping stone to see what it would be like doing a full time. Tony, you had a very similar experience to this story. I was I was going to share the same, right? We're like the the band of unemployed brothers and sisters on the phone. I mean, actually, your, yours was optional, right? You chose to leave, but um, like for me, I got I got let go on Christmas Eve, twenty twenty. Um, and I know what was going on in my life at the moment was that we we only had I think three active Airbnbs. We had a couple of long term rentals at that point. Um, not a not a big portfolio by any means. So like, what was going on in your lives when you unexpectedly lost your job? Oh well, this is kind of funny actually. Well, it's sad, but kind of funny. <laughs> uh, you know, Kevin. Uh, it was the day after his birthday, so yeah. he got the email on his birthday. Everyone's got to come in tomorrow for this nine a.m. meeting in person and. You know, it's just a pit in your stomach all day on your birthday. And then he goes into work. And as you guys heard from the intro, our, our last name is Windhauser. So Kevin was the last meeting of the day. So he had to wait, you know, in office all yeah. day, just knowing that this meeting was going to come. So that was uh, was going on at that moment in time. Yeah. And then at the same time, we just um, 
we we knew we were closing on our first uh, hard money deal. Uh, yeah. So we knew that close. We were in the process under contract, no contingencies uh, for finances. So we had to close essentially. And uh, so maybe two or three days later, after losing my job, we were you know at the closing table at the closing table <laughs> with a, a big more a big uh, hard money loan. <laughs> well, good thing you got your uh, approval before you lost your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, it was you know because it was hard money and an independent person. They weren't too concerned. They knew uh, our previous flipping history, so you know it wasn't a big deal. To them, at least. And we pulled it off. So it all worked out. <laughs> and uh, Julia, what were you doing at this this time in your life? As we said, you know, Kevin had this nice, cushy engineering job. Everyone said it was the safe thing to do. So at that time, uh, earlier that year, I did a career change. You know, I, I had left my we'd recently gotten married. I had left my job and I got asked to, you know, co-found um, a software company with a former colleague of mine. So that's what I was working on. No income coming in, but really, you know, hustling between the real estate and making that work out. So, you know, it was a big lesson learned not to rely on the corporate empire and why it's important to really build out your own wealth and side income. Yeah, guys, I think just one thing I want to highlight for all of our rookies that are listening is that it's there's no job that's safe. Right, like in, in, you know, we're, we're recording this in February of 2024 and there's massive tech layoffs happening from all of these big companies that people have dreamed to work for forever. Right. Uh, my mom was a state employee. She worked for the government, which a lot of people think is like the pinnacle of safe job. And in 2008, when the, when the great recession happened, my mom got furloughed. Right. And, you know, so it's like, it doesn't matter where you work, who you work for, like no job is safe. So the, the smartest, the safest thing you can do for yourselves, for your financial future is to build something independent of your day job <laughs> because you'll, you'll never have full control over that. But as you build this real estate business, that's something you can control at least to an extent. Right. And I hope if there's, you know, one thing that people take away from our experience with Kevin's layoff is that's why having that, you know, real estate, small but mighty portfolio in the background was just so important and what really stabilized and like our life at that point. Really? So let me ask you, what did financial stability mean to you? Why would you say that when this happened, you were laid off that you guys felt, okay, it's not the end of the world. What was your financial situation that you felt comfortable with? Yeah, I think what was important for Kevin and I, as we were growing our portfolio is growing sustainably. We never took on more than we can chew. We always had that element of calculated risk that we were taking on. So that stability during that time is we knew that our portfolio, each house is independent of the whole portfolio, each of them cash flow. Um, you know, we have our reserves personally, um, we have our brokerage accounts, we really just made sure that we laid the proper foundation before going into that, you know, recent hard money deal that we just alluded to before. So just that sustainable growth over time, I think really helped us. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, you, you know, you read on online or on social media, how, you know, they they put everything they had into something. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, some people works out and good for them. But it's a very, very risky situation. So for us, like Julia said, we had our, our, our savings. We had, uh, a cash flowing portfolio, uh, which included reserves, uh, for each of those properties. And did you have for your reserves? What did you feel comfortable with? Do you want to share some of the numbers with us as to like, what was your? monthly cash flow compared to what your income was from your job and kind of what that difference is and how much you had saved. The, I can get I can get into each individual portfolio uh, uh, property, but big picture, um, 
our total cash flow, at least for principal taxes and insurance, so uh, not yard maintenance and things like that, um, that is about four thousand um, dollars of cash flow. And then uh, after that, we all our houses are fairly newly renovated, even though they're hundred year old homes. So we know we have very low maintenance costs in general. Um, we try to keep maybe uh, ten to fifteen thousand of all at all time in the real estate account. Um, just in case, you know, your furnace blows in the middle of winter and you need a new furnace, uh, or the, which happened, by yeah, the way, <laughs> which should happen. <laughs> that happened you know, to me this year too. Yeah. It's pain. It's a painful reality. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, so I mean, in terms of numbers, yeah, about 4,000 and then that cash flow, we also knew could cover our, our rent. So at this time we were renting renters ourselves. Uh, it made more sense to rent out all our homes and go rent from someone else. Um, so that cash flow would also cover our personal rent um, if needed. I mean, it was definitely $4,000 can make it very tight after, you know, food and everything. And luckily we had savings, of course. Uh, but generally speaking, that's... Okay, awesome. What is your portfolio made up of? Uh, so we started with a two-family home. Uh, we used first time, my first-time home buyer for that. The second home that we purchased was a single-family home, first-time home buyer in Kevin's name. And then the third one is another two family home. That's just like your typical investor, 20% down. And then the fourth home that we purchased uh, is a single family home with hard money. Yeah. So total value that it's about $2 million in property. Total revenue is about 166,000. And like I said, 4K in cash flow. Well, you guys, that is amazing. Congratulations. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, I want to know what market you guys are in and how other rookie investors can get started in that market too. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller-financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Okay, and we are back from our short break. So Kevin and Julia, where are you investing in right now? We're in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, and I guess to give further context of how we even ended up there, um, back in 2019, we were living in Boston, Massachusetts, and we were trying to figure out, okay, we really want to take the jump into real estate. How the heck are we going to do this? So we were looking from everything from all of greater New England. We thought about, oh, well, maybe we'll get a primary residence and, and rent out. A, it was a there's a barn on the property. We're like, oh, we'll rent out the stables and all of this stuff. We really thought of all the different options, but ultimately we came down to house hacking because we learned about leveraging a first time home buyer um, at the time too. You know, Kevin's job was hybrid, so he needed to be able to commute back into Massachusetts. So when we found Providence, that was only about 50 minutes outside of Boston. So it really worked out perfectly just for our personal life and for our investing journey. And the appeal to Providence really is all our properties are centered around Providence College. Um, so we loved being insulated by the school 10 minutes from downtown and so much money went into really building up that smaller city and made it, you know, a really great destination for people. So that's how we found Providence. Yeah. And I mean, we're big believers in investing in our back own backyard or relatively close. Uh, we want to be able to see street to street. Um, you know, one street over can make a huge difference. If you're not, don't have boots on the ground or have someone you trust there. And we didn't have that. So being close by was important to us. Uh, Boston was just simply too expensive uh, yeah. for our risk, at least. I know people do it successfully, but for us, it was just a little too much. And then uh, Providence was a little more in our price range and rents still justified uh, justified the purchase price. Can we can we talk like what was the price difference between Boston and Providence? Like for the portfolio you bought, you know, $2 million worth of real estate in Providence. What would that have costed you in, in Boston? Yeah. So our so our first property um, we bought for 339000 
And then if we were to get a two family in Boston, that could have been a like million. a million easily. Yeah, about a million. And then the the rents are a little bit better here, but they definitely don't cover the mortgage. Right. Whereas down there, the rents were high enough to cover the mortgage and some. So you guys have gone through a few properties now. You know, you've got some single families. Sounds like you did a little bit of maybe a bigger rehab job with the, the hard money loan. Of all these properties that you've taken down so far, which house has maybe given you the, the biggest challenge or presented the, the biggest obstacles? They all have their special little, you know, unique thing that, that makes them a challenge. But I guess Pro- probably our first property, we'll yeah. say. Yeah, the two family home. And what, what what made that one so yeah, what made that one so challenging for you guys? You know what it is? Like new investors on the block. We were 26 years old. Like innocence is bliss, right? You walk into something and you go, "Oh, we're just going to paint the cabinets, <laughs> throw in a shower door, you know, and and it's going to be just, you know, lipstick yeah. on a pig." And then ultimately we got in there and you're buying a 100-year-old house. The electrical is just dangerous and, you know, plumbing is just old piping all all of this stuff and we're really big believers in you know saving just eliminating headaches if we can future proof the property by doing those foundational upgrades up front uh that yielded us a really big return in the long run so i would say that's was probably why it was a big obstacle but yeah and like a lot we knew it was a hundred year old house but i think a lot of people think your inspection covers all this information but at least in our area what we found is the inspector just looks generally speaking does the house look like it's going to fall down you know they'll make some notes but they don't look at the detailed electrical they say maybe hire an electrician to look you know and maybe we should have uh hire a plumber to look hire they just tell you to hire a specialist essentially so um just because the inspection looks good doesn't doesn't mean much, um, but ultimately it's a hundred year old house that needed to be gutted. So your your first project was a one hundred year old home that needed to be gutted. Is that what, yes. that's what you guys are sharing? With that's me? Essentially, <laughs> yeah. That- <laughs> and we were living in it. Yeah, we were <laughs> living there. <laughs> yeah, no wonder this is the the biggest challenge, right? Like that's a big job to take down on your first one, right? Like you know, I'm I'm, in, I'm on the West Coast, so that, you know we don't get as many hundred year old homes like where I'm at in SoCal as you do like on the East Coast. But I know Ash, I think you've got like some stuff that was built like the 1800s or something like that, right? So it, it's more common on the East Coast. Um, so when you think about lessons learned maybe from going through that that first rehab what were some of the big things you walked away with like okay we need to do that differently next time yeah i mean so i took on a lot of the the rehab stuff um i went and got my my gc license and to, and honestly learned through youtube university as i call <laughs> it you know um and i mean the big a couple big things one you can learn how to do a lot of this stuff yourself if if you want um at the time we didn't have the money to be able to hire out and so it was really just on us to do it. I will say though, as we started to collect rent and rebuild our reserves, learning after that project, we learned that, you know, it's just not feasible for us to do everything ourselves. We started to have to hire out certain jobs. Um, some, I got good at tiling, for example, and I'll still do tiling. But when it comes to drywalling, I'm not a drywaller. You know, I've, I've learned very quickly professionals can do it significantly faster, uh, than I can. Um, so that was a big one. And then honestly, every house we look at now, I kind of just go in with the mindset that everything's going to have to be replaced, you know, and, and if it doesn't, great, we save that money, but, um, it's kind of just preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. What are three things that you think off the top of your head are, 
this is what a rookie should know because these are things that can cost you a lot of money that aren't obvious. Like, are there different things like how you had mentioned, you know, you get your inspection report, but it's not seeing inside the walls and things like that. Yeah. I mean, biggest things I look at now on a property is uh, electrical and plumbing. Um, those are, there's a lot of like, just cause it's old electric doesn't mean it's necessarily bad, but when you start to get to a hundred year old electric, it's not just old, but it's unsafe. Um, and then there's, there's issues where the tenant, or if you're living it in yourself, you can't turn the light on and the microwave on at the same time. And that's something you're going to get callbacks or, uh, or you're going to get a, uh, yeah. The breaker is going to trip and they're going to say, yeah, I have no electric. You're going to send out an electrician. It's like, all you had to do is just to flip this. <laughs> exactly. Or like some of those breakers we had in that house were before the standard breakers we have now, not fuses, but, um, but they weren't safe breakers that we have now. So it may not have even tripped. Um, so yeah, so getting, just knowing your electric is either in great shape or if it's not in good shape, getting, uh, getting that replaced. Um, and then a third one, you have a third one, maybe, uh, maybe tenants. Um, you know, we luckily inherited a great tenant. She's still Uh, with us. She's still with us. Um, but I mean, hearing all the, I guess, maybe horror stories, you never know who you're... Horror stories? Yeah. <laughs> who you're going to get, right? You never know. And I think we lucked out, honestly. I definitely want to dig into the tenant screening piece here. But I guess one last question on the rehab portion. Now that you've done this a few times, I know a big question for a lot of rookies here is, how do I estimate rehab costs when I've never done this before? So what's your recommendation to someone who's brand new, maybe just like you, they're thinking, I'm just going to slap some some lipstick on this pig and we're going to be fine. How can I project rehab costs as accurately as possible? Yeah. I mean, part of it, the truth is just getting a little bit of experience. You don't have to be an expert, but a little bit. But from if you have a, when I say a little bit, a little bit of knowledge, meaning you need drywall and, and spackle, you know, you don't just need drywall, but going through the walk in the property room by room, writing down. And then on our most recent one, I just went on to Home Depot and added in each room what I needed for that room. And then I doubled the cost just for labor. And then I added it all up. And then I added another maybe 15% on top of that, maybe 20%. Uh, and that got me almost exactly to the dollar um, on how much it costs. Yeah, Ash, you like that strategy as well, right? Like just filling up your shopping cart. Yeah, yeah, just going on the website and actually just adding things into there. And actually now Daryl's built out this whole spreadsheet where it just links all of the materials we always use, like especially for apartment turnovers. Yeah, and you can just click, click, and there it is. But um, I did want to add too to like, how Kevin said, doing the electric and the plumbing, like looking at those two things are so important as to like, there's a lot of little simple things that you can, you know, do YouTube university for to learn about. But like an example is the breaker box. Like are there fuses or are they actually breakers in there in the electric panel box? Because if they're fuses, you're going to want to get those switched out. So being able to, even if you're just taking a photo of some of the things you're seeing in the house and you have no idea this is how it's supposed to be. Take the photo, ask your dad, ask your neighbor, you know, just ask somebody because a lot of times just that photo can say a lot. Um, you know, if you're seeing corrosion or stuff like that around the electric panel, that, that shouldn't be happening. Then also taking pictures under all of the, the sinks where the plumbing is underneath too, looking for leaks, going down in the scary basements where they hide the dead bodies and taking pictures of the piping down there. Like, is it, 
PEX? Is it PVC? Is it galvanized pipe? I once had this property where there was a galvanized pipe coming out of the property and the insurance company wouldn't insure it because they didn't want that type of pipe coming out of the property. So um, lots of different things that you can slowly learn just by taking so many great photos when you're just doing a showing for a property and asking questions. Yeah. And I just want to add two things. Like when you're in the basement and especially with electrical, you can see if someone like stapled the wires up on the beams properly. And if they look like a professional did it, when you see it, you'll know, you'll know. Um, and something else that we do when we tour properties is we have like this little plug that you can just put into any outlet. It's like, it's maybe $15 if that, uh, but it shows if it's GCFI. So you can see if it's, um, you know, updated electrical or not just from there. Yeah. It'll tell you if it's, uh, grounded or not. Um, yeah. which means it may be, um, a uh, hundred year old electric knob and tube or something. Yeah. James Daynard, when he goes through a property, he always looks at the, the hot water tank, the electrical panel, the furnace to see if there's a sticker of who installed it or who last maintained it too. And if he is planning to, you know, change the electric or do something like that, he'll contact those contractors first. If everything was done, like looks good correctly, you know, but if it's not a great job, he knows not to use those contractors too. So let's talk a little bit about tenant screening, right? We we touched on this earlier. So sounds like I'm assuming Kevin, Julia, you you both are self-managing. Yes. Okay. So what, what is your process for screening tenants? Both, I guess the ones that are inherited, if you are doing any kind of screening, and then if it's a brand new listing that you got to find the tenant for yourself, what does that process look like? Sure. This is quite funny because we just did this this weekend. Uh, We had to show a property. But our process typically, and we found that it's been most successful for us, is posting on Zillow. We've done Facebook and all the other things, and we've just found that the highest quality lead um, for us really comes from Zillow in our area. So what we do is we list the property, great photos, of course, and with a really good description. And we say, okay, um, you know, someone says, I want to inquire about this property. I just thank them, you know, for you know, inquiring, we have a Google form, please, you know, fill this out and please send me your phone number. Um, I'll give you a call. So typically from that Google form alone, you're going to weed a lot of people out because some people are like, ugh, like too much work. I don't want to do this. Or, you know, they're really hopeful that, you know, well, they're going to fit the criteria or sometimes you get lucky and, you know, they're a great qualified tenant. If that's the case, I give them a ring and I say, Hey, listen, um, I, I know it's kind of weird, like getting a link like that, you know, from a stranger that you don't know, whoever this landlord is. I just want to put a face to a name. You know, my name is Julia. Um, I'm going to just ask you a couple of questions just to verify what's on this form. And if if this both feels good for us, we'll schedule a tour and we'll, we'll get you into the property right away. So then if that works out, we schedule the tour. Um, and I try to be as personable as I can during the tour and really make them feel welcome, open up to me. I ask, you know, oh, like casually, why are you moving? Um, Oh, okay. Would they be able to give you a reference? Oh, that's awesome. Perfect. Let me talk to you a little bit about the landscaping, utilities, et cetera, um, and answer any questions that they have. And then from there, if they're still interested, if I still feel like it's a good fit, we'll uh, do the credit and background check uh, and just verify everything and go from there. How long does that process usually take? Like from you know the time that you've listed until you you find a tenant ballpark, how how much time is passing? It really depends. Like so, for example, just this past weekend, uh, we just went through that whole process with one of our single family homes. We put it on Zillow for maybe three. Yeah. 
it was a day. Sorry, yeah, it, was a it was a day. And then Saturday, uh, they toured it, sent their credit and background check. We sent them the lease, and it happened. What was that? Maybe two, two days, days total. Yeah. Um, but we have other houses, uh, you know, that it takes a little bit longer. And if you're off season, so for example, in the Providence area. Usually people's leases end like May 20th to 31st, somewhere in there, just to give a little lapse in time for turnover. And then new leases start June 1st. So right now is like a really hot time to list your property and you'll get, you know, everyone's looking. If you're off market or the leasing schedule, it could be a little trickier. So one one follow-up question for me. I know you, you said that you guys try and focus around like Providence College. So are you going after the college kids? And if so, are they are they renting by the room or are you doing like full room or full house rentals? Like how does the, the college kind of play into your, your rental strategy and, and the tenant screening piece? Sure. So one side of the school is definitely like the party side of the school. We are not on that side. Um, we typically get a lot of the graduate students or young families that just, you know, went to the university or, or, you know, just decided to stay in the area because of jobs or what have you. So we have, you know, majority young professionals, yeah. I would say. Yeah. And we, we were open to students. Uh, like that was something we always said, worst case, we could always get students. And I know a lot of people are scared of students, but keep in mind, I mean, at least at the, at this school, a lot of their parents are paying the rents. So, you know, you'll get the rents and then, uh, like, so that's great. And then you, if they party and damage it, you have a good security deposit, you know? Uh, I mean, it could obviously be worse, but usually like a hole in the wall I can fix, you know? Yeah. I think something that you guys seem to have down pat is that you have a system, you know, what you need to do for every application that comes in. And that is so important and can make it so easy to make sure you're not violating fair housing laws by sticking to the same, here's my rental criteria, you miss it. Yes, you're approved. No, maybe you need a co-signer, things like that. So um, I highly recommend it. Anyone listening, if you don't have some kind of rental criteria or a checklist that you follow for your screening, uh, start writing that out and figure out each little step that you need to do. Then it makes it even easier to hire out, to have a virtual assistant to actually do that process for you too. No, I was just going to say like, it's a data driven business, whether, you know, good credit, three times the rent for your income, all, all of that stuff matters. And you really have to detach yourself from the emotional stories that, you know, people are, are going to tell you. And of course you have a heart, but at the end of the day, it's data driven. It's not, it's not personal. And you can't take that personally if you have to turn someone down because, you know, they simply can't afford it or whatever the situation or circumstance that they're in. Okay. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, I want to hear about a few things that you learned about investing that ended up being different from reality. So we'll get into that and hear about some of your strengths after this quick break. <laughs> Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? 
because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the Bigger Pockets Bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash bprookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash bprookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bprookie. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, everybody. Welcome back. We are here with Kevin and Julia. So was real estate investing exactly what you thought it was going to be? And why not? Or why has it been? <laughs> uh, definitely not what we thought it 
would be, but at the same time, I want to say it's so much better in other ways, right? Um, so I mean, I think social media puts a, uh, a lot of a facade, we'll call it, over what real estate investing could be. A lot of people are like, you know, quit your nine to five, jump right into it, you know, without even thinking. And that's just not reality. You know, that nine to five does help you build your portfolio to a point, but it takes time. You know, a lot of people are counting doors. I have a thousand doors. And in reality, they're just a part of a syndication, you know, that uh, is great and everything, but it's a lot different than having, you know, three doors that, you know, are great cash flowing, um, uh, properties. So I think at first we really wanted to quit our jobs and grow our portfolio as fast as we could to, you know, live that life. But we quickly realized we could get there the same way that other people have just with having, I guess you'd call it the small and mighty portfolio. Um, and that has worked really well for us. It does get frustrating when, you know, we, in theory, I guess we have six doors, six units, um, but that can be just as powerful as a hundred doors, depending on the market and so many other uh, cash variables. Flow, cash yeah. flow, yeah. I think the you know the social media piece that you mentioned, Kevin, is super important because it's so easy to see kind of this perfect story on Instagram, TikTok, wherever, and think that everything's always rainbows and butterflies. And I, I hope Ash and I at least do a good job of like sharing our personal ups and downs and failures and things that don't go according to plan. Because it's true that, yeah, there's a lot of success that can be had with real estate investing. But sometimes it feels like you're banging the head against the wall, right? And you're like, man, why can't I figure this thing out? So I think for all of our rookies that are listening, it's important to hear those failures because when they happen, now you don't feel like you're, you're someone who will never figure this thing out. Right. It's part of the journey is, is, is those ups and downs, guys. So I, I appreciate you calling that out. Um, what about like the management side? Like what other, I don't know, misconceptions have you seen about managing tenants and, and trying to be a good landlord? Oh, there's so many. And I, I might get a lot of, you know, controversial feedback for this, but I really. Oh, that's do our be- favorite kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But everyone will tell you online or friends and family. Don't tell them you're the landlord. Just say you're the property manager. Don't say that you're the owner and all of this stuff. But I have just find so much value in creating a relationship with my tenants. Now, I'm not saying you got to be best friends. I'm not saying go over for tea and all, all of this. But when you're involved and you're friend, like, like being friendly with them, like I care. I care that I provide good housing for you. I care about your job. I care about your dog. I care about your pregnancy. So I remember these things when I talk to them and when I follow up with them, when I see them on the property, I say, oh, like how, how's your job going? I know you were up for a promotion to how to work out. And my tenants really appreciate that. And um, we always say, you know, we want to, if times are hard for them, we want to be the first bill that they pay. Or if something breaks, I don't want them to be like, ooh, Julia, that scary landlord. I'm not going to tell her this. And then all of a sudden mold is going through through the walls. I want them to feel comfortable telling me uh, when things go sideways. So I feel like we have done a really good job of balancing that. Yeah, I think it's true for like any leadership position. You're like, I have team members on my team and, and the kind of the different businesses that we run. And I feel like there, there's obviously a, a balance you want to strike there. Like, you know, I, I think you always want to make sure that 
they respect you and, and kind of the role that you play, but you should also respect them and make sure you've got an understanding of what's going on in their lives. And like you said, when that foundation is strong, when issues do arise, whether it's, you know, something that you want to talk to them about that's a little sticky or something they want to bring up that's a little bit sticky, when that foundation of trust is there, it makes handling those issues so much easier. And that's true landlord to tenant. That's true uh, boss to employee. That's true parent to child, right? It's like any kind of relationship when that foundation of trust is strong, conflict resolution is so much easier. Tony, real quick, I noticed that you didn't give the scenario of uh, Airbnb host and guest. And is that because Sarah's always zooming in on photos to find out? <laughs> we crack the whip when it comes to Airbnb <laughs> guests. Like, hey, do your checkout instructions. No question. No. We, we, I, I think that, that relationship's a little bit different because it's so quick, you know? So that, that's just more like customer service, right? But like, you know, I think about the other relationships and it's that way. Oh, Tony, I was just going to add, like, I you know, have a tenant that, uh, their, their lease is up in May and I had reached out to them cause they, you know, whatever the situation they wanted to extend, but we couldn't, but it, she at least felt comfortable coming to me and saying, Hey, Julia, like, I don't want to screw you over. I know my lease is up on this date. This is the problem I'm facing because, um, of my exam or whatever the situation was. And I said, great. Like, I'm, I'm so happy you came to me. So now I can prepare. Okay. Now I know that I'm going to have a vacancy. It's not just going to sweep me out from, you know, the rug under me. And I could say, okay, what's your criteria for another rental? If I see something, I'm more than happy to be a referral or send you something that I come across. Or if there's a landlord in that area I can connect with, I'm so happy to do so. And I think when you have that relationship, it like that could have been such a headache. That, oh, I want to extend my lease for three more months. Oh, you can't do it. And now it's a problem. You know, we completely avoid the conflict that way, you know? Now, Kevin, after hearing Julia's role, I'm going to assume your role is more like mine, where you're not having to talk to anybody or answer the phone. <laughs> yeah, Julia does a great job with the tenants. And I'm very nice to the tenants. I When I am talking to them, it's it's fine. Um, they love but my Yeah, they love me. <laughs> That's what they tell, tell Julia, at least. But um. But yeah, I would much prefer uh, to be behind Stessa doing the numbers. I'd much prefer be doing a renovation or managing contractors or whatever the case is. Um, I love that side of the real estate, uh, but luckily it works in our relationship where Julia <laughs> likes the other half. <laughs> Can you explain what Stessa is real quick? And is there any other software you're using too? Yeah, Stessa, uh, Stessa is just your uh, bookkeeping, essentially. You can upload all your receipts. Um, you can send your accountant a big tax packet at the end of the year. Um, you can do it. You can keep track of property information. Um, I think they just started doing property management as well, or, uh, rent collection, I should call it. Um, for that though, we are using rent ready. Uh, so we're kind of splitting the two. We find rent ready right now has a little bit more features for that, uh, rent collection. Um, but Stessa still has, uh, all the, the numbers side of things. Um, Stessa is a nice mobile app too. Like if he's in, you know, buying something in Home Depot quick, he prints up the receipt and just can do it from the car and it's uploaded and done. So. Yeah. And it helps me keep track, like a renovation project, like almost all these houses have had renovations. It keeps me, you know, uh, accountable for like how, where is our budget? You know, where did that go? Cause you can categorize each thing. And I'll tell you at the end of the year, our accountant, I'm sure appreciates <laughs> that it comes in a nice bundle. And I certainly appreciate not having to go back through these receipts, you know, open up a shoebox. Yeah. I love both of those platforms and and if anyone listening is a Bigger Pockets Pro member, you get access to both of those through being a pro member. And 
you maybe have to pay $1 if that, I think, but it might actually be free tied into the pro membership. But Sessa, I love it because it's also also like a asset management tool. So it's not property management software per se, but it seems like they're trying to get there. But like you can track your insurance and it will alert you like your insurance is about to expire. Make sure you have renewed it, things like that. So I love it as an asset management tool to Stessa. And Tony's mind is still blown because Stessa is assets spelled backwards. (laughs) Okay, so Kevin and Julia, what is next for you two? Um, Yeah, so we've done the single family. We've done the two family. Well, honestly, listening to to Bigger Pockets a lot and getting some inspiration, I think where we're going next is probably something a little bit bigger, but nothing crazy. We're our, our call it our buy box is hopefully something in that eight to fifteen unit. Um, we like the idea of condensing the portfolio or not having a ton of single families. Uh, I will say single families rent very easily, uh, so if you find a good deal, we're still you know, open to those. If, and if someone else finds a deal, take it down. Um, if the numbers work, but we want to try and grow into that slightly bigger, um, uh, property. And where do you guys see yourselves in five years? Do you have any, any goals set? And it can be outside of real estate too. We're, we're looking just this week. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I have the same problem. It's so yeah. hard for me to look down. You, you guys are touching on a little bit, right? Like trying to scale up, which I think is a, a super fair goal. And I, I guess when you think about that, that idea or that, that goal of getting larger properties, like what's that next skill development that you feel you need to focus on? Because it's like you, you've got the rehab piece down, you've got the tenant screening piece. What's that ne- next skill that you feel you need to really sharpen to to continue scaling up? Um, I think, I mean, we're starting this with the hard money, but getting uh, like the private money, getting the uh, maybe hard money, you know, the different uh, creative financing type ways to pull down these deals. Like we don't necessarily have you know, multiple millions to go and buy these huge commercial properties. But I know there are ways to go about it. And many of these ways you guys have brought up on previous shows and uh, just learning and ultimately executing those uh, for one of these bigger properties. Um, so I think a lot of that's going to come with networking. Um, finding the deal, of course, can come through networking. Um, I'd also add that kind of project. We w- I don't believe that we would self-management, manage it because it'll probably be out of state. I mean, we're looking uh, to diversify our portfolio. So on Saturday, actually, we have a tour in Connecticut. So we'll have to figure out like that outsourcing that property management piece too. So that'll be another skill that we'll have to kind of hone in on a little bit more. Let's talk about the networking a little bit, right? Because I think that's an incredibly important skill for people to learn, especially as it relates to being able to raise private capital and, you know, maybe taking down some of these bigger deals. Like you said, you don't have millions just sitting in a bank account for yourself. So you've got to be able to at some point tap into other people's money. So what is, what does that look like? Like what's your goal for, for building that network, for getting out there and meeting, meeting potential money partners? Yeah. So our goal is to go to one meetup a month now that, you know, we're here in Boston and we like to go in with an intention. So something that we're needing right now is different sources of capital and finding those private lenders. So we'll go to these meetups and kind of, you can sniff out in the room, you know, who who's there for what and really engaging with those people, but also being open-minded to anyone that you speak to at a, at a meetup and how it could, you know, 
be a, a symbiotic relationship with one another. So, well, Kevin and Julia, the last thing I want to highlight is your partnership. You both very well clearly defined what your roles and responsibilities are in your partnership. And I think that's a huge part of what makes a great partnership is each knowing what you are responsible for, but better yet, actually taking responsibility for it. So Kevin and Julia, thank you so much for joining us on this Real Estate Rookie Podcast. I'm Ashley and he's Tony. You can check us out on social media in the link below in the show description. And we will see you guys next time. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.